Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Come on in. Come on in. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Here we are Saturday morning. Look at us kicking butt, taking names, being black, learning our economics, getting on top of our game. That's what we're doing. That's how we live. That's who we are. And so uh, so I congratulate you for getting up with me on a Saturday morning and uh, meeting uh, every we meet every morning at 10 a.m. Eastern, in case you don't know. And uh, I want to say welcome to everybody. And so, uh, um, yeah, so so. Uh, what I want to uh, talk about today, uh, I, you know what? The first thought that I had today actually was uh, Fannie Willis. Uh, anybody been following that stuff with Fannie Willis and the whole Donald Trump thing and and her uh, having the secret lover and they're trying they're trying to call for her resignation now because apparently uh, th th there's phone records released now about their relationship that uh, contradict what they've said on the stand. And uh, and and again, I don't know how deep this goes. I don't know how deep this goes. And I, don't, I don't even know how exactly how this ties directly into what we do with our consciousness training. Actually, I do, and I'll, I'll explain in a second. Um, but but I I was one one position that I had on this was I remember sitting here thinking I was analyzing what Fannie Willis was going through and just all the stress that she's dealing with, you know, all the people that are attacking her, uh, all of the um, problems that she might be having. When it comes to uh, whether or not, let's say she gets accused of perjury or something like that. Well, that's pretty serious, right? So perjury means, uh, you know, you're talking about possible jail, jail time and all this other stuff. And I remember thinking, gosh, you know, why is it? Why, what? Why is this worth it? Like, what? What? What are we doing this for? You know, what? What is the purpose? What's the goal in all this? You know, do, is this something we even have to go through? Because I looked at her and her. Her uh, boyfriend, her boyfriend's name's Nathan Wade, and uh, apparently Nathan and Fanny uh, had uh, during the Trump prosecution they had a personal relationship, and so the Trump people are making a big deal out of this. They're trying to get Fanny removed because of this, and um, and, and maybe they have some legal standing. I have no idea. I'm not an attorney, but I remember just sitting there thinking, "Gosh, it's so crazy that." You know, you're sitting there and you have all these millions of people peering into your personal life. You have to defend your personal decisions about who you want to date and, and stuff like that. And uh, and and it, it it really, honestly, in my opinion, has much, much to do about nothing. But at the same time, there might be some legal regulatory issues there. Right. Just did you break the rules? That seems to be what it all comes down to. And uh, I remember thinking I, I said to myself, I said, why not just walk away? You know, why not just you know, why not just have a moment of clarity where you just say, why am I doing all this? What's all what's all this worth? Because here's the deal. If 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 she gets in big trouble, what do y'all think? Give me a yes or no. Yes or no. If if she gets in uh in some in some like really big, big, big trouble, do you think that the Democratic Party is really gonna put it on the line to defend her? Do you think that the Democrat, the DNC or whoever runs that that side of politics, do you think they're gonna go and just, you know? balls to the wall, you know, cover her tracks, make sure she's good, defend her reputation, defend her integrity, defend her career. What do y'all think? I mean, do you think that the DNC is going to do that or, or do they have a bigger job? And the bigger job uh, might be defending the party, taking care of the party. Uh, and I, and I even think about that one guy um, down in Florida, my, my wife kind of in, indirectly knew him. His name's Andrew Gillum. Anybody remember Andrew Gillum? And Andrew was this high flying guy who was supposed to be the next Barack Obama. And then it turns out that he had some private stuff going on that I won't even talk about because it was so crazy. You can just Google it. Just Google Andrew Gillum if you didn't keep up with that. It was, whew, it was, it was heavy. <laughs> it was like, whoa. And, but anyway, like, so, you know, so as soon as, uh, as soon as this stuff, 
ended up being revealed, it ended up, you know, being like, okay, we're done with him. We're going to dismiss and get rid of him because this guy is a liability to the party. And I, I, I kind of understand it, to be honest with you, because, you know, that's what you got to do. Right. And uh, and I remember thinking, like, for what? Like, what's the I understand if you uh, sacrifice and give up, you know, even your life, I, I would even give up my life. For like what I do right now, like I, if somebody came and killed me because of what I do, it wouldn't bother me. It'd be like, ah, you know, I'm 52. I've lived a good life. It's it's all right. I don't want to die. But if it happened, it's like, oh, well, we all got to die sometime. But if I like got shot because I was defending the front line at Walmart. I would feel very different about that. I wouldn't want to give my life for Walmart, you know. Uh, it, it, or it's, in a way, it's like like I respect soldiers. A lot of you are veterans. I know this, and thank you for your service. I respect soldiers because, you know, they 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 put their lives on the line for for something. And and I'll tell you what, there's a difference between dying in battle, defending the freedom of your country, versus dying in like Vietnam, which was a war that was fought over nothing. It was just literally a stupid war that cost hundreds of thousands of lives. And and so so I think that one one of the meditation points I want to reflect on. It is is it, we're going to jump into the slides in a minute, but I want us to think about self worth and asking ourselves these fundamental questions like which hill am I willing to die on? I think that's the question. I think a lot of us don't ask ourselves. A lot of us die on the hill of the highest bidder. A lot of us will will die on the hill uh, and go through all kinds of hell to defend something that means nothing uh, for us. And uh, and 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 and, you, and and I agree with you, Pat. You know, Google says the case against Andrew Gillum was dropped, but that's not the one I'm talking about. I'm talking about the very first one, the scandal with the the men in the hotel room and the and they had pictures of that. That was that was pretty that was pretty terrible. And that was the one that led him be to being dismissed by the party. And then when Gillum tried to come back and and sort of say, okay, I'm I'm openly gay. This this is my next play. I'm gonna do blah blah blah. That's when he went under federal investigation. That's that's what happens. That's what happened to um, uh, Davis, uh, the 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 mayor of New York. I think that's his name. Eric is it Eric Davis? Yeah, you know they 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 get they investigate. They indict you, right? So so he once he got it, the investigation that put another stain on him, and it turned out that he was innocent. But unfortunately, you know, when you're black and you get accused of something, that stain doesn't really go away. So ultimately, my point is to say that I think that economically speaking, I think you have to really, as a as a financial consciousness exercise, analyze your trade-offs that you're making in life. I think you really have to stop and understand yourself worth enough to say, Am I going out here and giving it all up for the highest bidder or am I doing something or a part of something that really means something to me and to the people that I care about? And let me give you an example. A lot of us, I did, we did the math, right? I explained to you that if you work 50 hours a week, you spend 50 hours a week on a full-time job, either at work, going to work or coming home to work. And that's if you're lucky. Some people spend 12, 13 hours a day. So if you do 10 hours a day, five days a week, that's 50 hours a week. If you work for 50 weeks out of the year, that's 2,500 hours per year of your life that you're giving away. Over a decade, you're giving away 25,000 hours. Over a 40-year work career, you've given 100,000 hours of your time, your precious time on this planet for <clears throat> for what? For what? For some company that doesn't care about you, some job that means nothing to you and your family, something that adds nothing to your legacy. Doesn't even pay you that well. It'd be different if you were giving it all up so you could become a millionaire by the time you were done. But most most people don't die millionaires. 
So for what? You, you did this is a hundred thousand hours that you could spend with your kids, a hundred thousand hours you could spend living out your passion, a hundred thousand hours. A hundred thousand hours is a lot of time. That's a lot of time. There's eight thousand seven hundred and sixty hours in a year, and you're asleep for one third of that time. So you really only have about maybe uh let's say six thousand hours a year that you're alive, that you're awake, that you're conscious. Let's go back to the word conscious. This is what this is, financial consciousness training. So you only have 6,000 hours. These are the weird things that I think about. These are things I was thinking about when I was 19. None of my friends, all my friends thought I was weird, but but I was really gaining. I was looking for the keys to the universe. I wanted to understand life. So, <clears throat> so you have 6,000 hours a year that you are awake each year. Over one decade, you have 60,000 hours that you are alive, awake, making decisions, taking a shower, spending time with your kids, doing, going to work, doing whatever. So basically the corporate plantation takes a, about 18 to 20 years of your life away. That means that if you were a person that was going to die at 75, you're, you're now dying at 55 because they're taking the last 20 years. They're taking 20 years and they're you're pouring that 20 years into somebody else's business, somebody else's legacy, somebody else's whatever. And, 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 and so the Fannie Willis thing, made me think about like I it made, it made me sort of say well do we ever ask ourselves those fundamental questions like is this really worth it I mean is this really because we get caught up in the game right anybody get everybody anybody ever been in the corporate rat race where you're in the rat race and you're in so deep or you're in this battle going back and forth and you start to uh mythically believe that the battle is really important or really if you just hit the off switch it's over the game is over you're out of the matrix but you don't realize that because you're just caught in it. It's almost like being in a bad relationship where where we get so in so inundated with all the emotional flooding of, of focusing on that one situation and that one person. And we forget that there's a million places we could be. You're dating, that woman's driving you crazy. There's a million women you could date. There's a million men you could, could be introduced to, but you're not seeing any of that because you're only thinking about that one thing, that one situation, and it's very bad for you. And, uh, and I can tell you, I've done this in my life when I had that consciousness exercise of just being in a terrible situation where I was like, I don't like this. This is stressing me out. This person is driving me crazy. And I realized, wait, you know what? I don't have to be here. I snap my fingers and then I shut it off and I move to a whole different reality. And what, what do I mean by that? Let me give you a real life example. There was a time where I was, uh, I was, um, coaching a track team. I was coaching a youth track team and, um, and it was really, really hard, and I didn't like it because the head coach, uh, I was very young, and the head coach, I felt, was basically making me do all the work but wasn't giving me any of the resources to get it done. Like, we would have a trip, and uh, we'd have to raise a whole bunch of money to get these kids. It was an inner-city team in my hometown, Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, and there's no hard feelings. I'm not mad at them or anything, but I remember feeling used and screwed because most practices I was the one running the practice. Um, I, you know, we, I was the one that had to help raise the money to get a bus or whatever. And then, you know, a lot of the kids, their parents didn't have a lot of money. So I would even pull money out of my own pocket to help these kids, like get to the track meet or whatever, buying them clothes and uniforms and food and all that. And I didn't mind any of that. Cause I love, I love black children and I mentoring black children to me is a blessing. It's not a burden at all. Um, and so <clears throat> anyway, I remember kind of uh, feeling a little bit screwed because I would raise all this money for us to go on the trip, but then they, and he would take, he would, he would take the money and you, he would use it for something else. I don't know what he was using it for. I'm not, I'm not saying he was stealing or anything. I just know that if the trip costs, 
you know, $1,500, we would only get 800 of the 1500 that we needed. And I would have to fill in the, the voids and all that. And I remember being so stressed out and so depressed. And it wasn't just that. There were some other things that kind of happened. And I remember thinking, God, this is so terrible. I said, you know, I really don't have to do this. I really don't have to be here. And I was sitting there and it was rain, pouring rain. I was sitting in like a subway eating a sandwich and really sad. And I, and you know what I did? I said, I actually don't have to be in this reality at all. I don't have to fight with anybody. I'm going to just pack my stuff and go home. And that's what I did. I, I got that right then at that moment. I went home to, I went to my parents' house. I, I was staying in my hometown of Louisville and I put <clears throat> all my stuff in the back of my truck and I drove home that day. And then I just moved on with my life. And uh, because I said, you know what, this, this part of my life is over. It's officially over. Um, it was great. But this is too painful, too stressful. I'm moving on. And uh, and so sometimes we do that. And we feel like we're kind of giving up on something or whatever. And and I and I did. I, I, well, I did feel a little bit bad because, you know, because I, I like the kids a lot and everything else. <clears throat> but the, the season was almost over anyway. And I didn't have to do that. And I remember just saying it's time to hit the off switch. And I got to that point through a, a, an exercise of consciousness. And there was, in fact, there was another time I remember it was 2016. I, I And I remember feeling really depressed and really annoyed because I had a couple of friends. I couldn't figure out why I was so, so down and why I was so stressed. And, uh, and I, I, I isolated it just to, through meditation. I isolated it to a couple of people in my life that I didn't want in my life anymore. And I just said, you know, okay, I don't have to talk to them ever again. There's a million people I could be talking to. I'm not, those people are not, it's not going to be those two. And so what I would say is that when I thought, when I saw Fannie Willis going through that stuff with Nathan Hale, I see them in the middle of this battle that's very stressful, that has huge implications. Uh, their reputations are going to be tarnished forever. They could end up facing legal, serious legal consequences, some of something that's very, very expensive. And I remember thinking like, for what? Is, is, the real, is the prosecution of Donald Trump something that only you can do? You know, is the prosecution of Donald Trump something that is really going to make a big difference in terms of the uh, the 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 life outcomes of people that you care about? Or is is Trump sort of this this target of our attention where we somehow find him as the scapegoat for all the things that are wrong in the black community when I don't think that that's appropriate? I don't think Donald Trump is the reason black people don't have as much wealth as white people. I don't think Donald Trump is the reason that black neighborhoods are in decay. I don't think Donald Trump or Joe Biden, I don't even talk about Trump or Biden. I don't think that the re-election or, 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 or de-election, if you will, of Trump or Biden is going to change any of that. It's, it's just not. It's just absolutely not. So if you're a Trump person, getting Trump elected is not going to improve the condition of the black community. You know that. And if you are a Biden fan, Getting Biden reelected is not going to do anything for the people that you love. It's not going to get those black kids educated in school. It's not going to change our wealth situation. It's not going to change our broken families. It's not going to change any of the things that matter to people like you and I. It, it's just not. So when I'm thinking about as a professional, you know, I'm a highly trained professional. I have more education than probably 99.9% of all the people in this country. I, do, I just do. It's just a fact. They get, I was in school till I was 31, studying eight, nine, 10 hours a day. I'm not an average person. So so with all this training, all this education, my thought at that point was, how do I scale this? My, my thought at that point is, how do I get maximum bang for my buck? You know, I had to put in all this work. Uh, how am I going to make sure that this work was worth it and not a waste of time? 
Because because if I had, if I just said you know I, I I'm just gonna go and and I want to get the most prestigious job and I want to I want white people to admire me and put me on TV or or whatever then I I would I would spend all this time all this energy all this stress all this time away from my family doing something that amounts to absolutely nothing when it comes to the people that matter to me and and but but instead I said you know what. I'm going to take my energy, and if, and if I'm going to get stressed out, I, I'm going to ask myself, why am I stressed, and is it worth it? So every morning, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to talk to as many black people as I can about family economics and do everything I can to persuade them to implement these ideas into their families, which will change the black wealth trajectory for the next 200 years. That is a much better use of my time. See, it, so this is a self-esteem exercise as well. The question is, for you, whatever you're doing, is it worth your time? The question, another question, whatever you're doing, whatever you put your energy into is, are you getting bang for your buck? The things you're putting your time into, are they pouring into, are those activities pouring into the people you love or are they pouring into people that you don't love, people that you don't even know, people that don't even care about you? And I can tell you that, that one of the biggest problems, one of the biggest reasons, think about this, the things that you put attention into are the things that tend to grow. The flower that gets water is the one that grows. The flower that gets no water dies. Your community is the flower that gets no water. The black community is the baby that gets no attention. So then you turn around and you say, well, what's wrong with the baby? Why is the baby always sick? Well, because you ain't paying no attention to the baby. Why, why, is, the baby, why is the baby dying? Well, because you, you ain't fed the baby in two weeks. You're feeding white babies because you because you love you love you some white chillums. You love the white babies. You love the white babies, but you ain't got no love left for the black babies. By the time you get around to the black babies, you exhausted. By the time you get back to your own problems in your own community, you you have nothing left. You are you know, to some extent we we're used up. We get used up. You know it's uh it's 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 like um. I don't know. It's like it's like somebody it's like a man that marries a, an adult film star, you know, who's getting busy with all these men all day long. And then she comes home and she she ain't got nothing left for her husband. She ain't got no passion left for him. She's got no love for him left, you know. So so we get used up. We get pimped. And when and by the time we get done getting used up and drained of every ounce of energy, stress, whatever we could muster, we then get thrown back into our space and then there's nothing left to give and I, and so when i look at the i honestly when i look at fan the, what fanny willis does and nathan wade and all that i look at the what they do on a daily basis and how they spend all their time and what they spend all their brilliant energy thinking about and and honestly a part of me feels like gosh that's such a waste of time that's such a waste of potential um you know i, I probably feel like black women feel when you meet a really handsome man Who's who's who turns out to be gay, <laughs> and you're like, what a waste! <laughs> or he don't even like black women, you know. It it it, it just it, that's how I feel. I feel like, gosh, you know, you would be a great asset for the community. You would be really great to help us fight these battles. You know, it'd be great to have smart attorneys like you who uh, formed some army of of uh, some legal army of you know two two hundred three hundred five hundred lawyers who are helping to fight all these old cases of black people that have been incarcerated for things they did not do. That to me will be a better use of your time. So, so it's not just what you can do. It's not just the energy in your gun. It's, it's, it's how you target that energy. Are you properly targeting your energy or are you simply targeting your energy in the direction that you're told?
are you targeting your energy where you get the best bang for your buck? Or are you simply targeting your energy in the place that pays you the most money? For some people, money becomes the motive. Money becomes the purpose. Money becomes the reason for being. Money becomes everything. Money defines whether or not an opportunity is a good one or a bad one. And there are so many people in this country, and you know them, some of them are, some of y'all are in this room, who will literally spend their whole lives doing stuff for money. And then if you take away the money, it means nothing. It means nothing. So, so that's a good test. Whatever you spend your time doing, I want you to say to yourself, if, if there was no money involved, if I was getting no money to do this, would I still be doing this? And let's say that you're getting no money and let's say that you have plenty of money at home. Let's say that you're financially secure and this job pays you no money. Is that the job that you would pick? And if the answer is no, then that means you're not living out your purpose. You're not. I I, because I, I can tell you that what I do every day, I, I do it for free. I did it for free. I did it for many years, getting paid absolutely nothing. I had it took years to get any momentum behind what I was doing. Nobody was listening to me when I first started doing this. So anyway, that's my first consciousness exercise for today. Uh, no disrespect to Fannie Willis and all that. I think she's a great lawyer. I just don't, you know, if if I'm gonna risk going to jail or risk risk losing my reputation, I'm not, I'm not gonna lose it over something like this. I'd rather lose it over something that's worthwhile. And uh, and I think that one of the challenges in the black community is that we don't have enough of our best and brightest doing work that is absolutely actually worthwhile. We have a lot of people doing work that pays them lots of money or gets them lots of attention or gives them lots of prestige, but it's false prestige. It's attention from the wrong people. It, it, it doesn't do anything to benefit the people that you actually care about. That is a wasted life. But because it's so common to do that, because it's so common for black people to, in a very empty fashion, to simply do what we're told or integrate ourselves into these systems that don't benefit us, that's what everybody does. So when somebody like me comes along and says, well, what are you doing for you? What are you doing for your people? They, 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 people think that's radical, crazy, rude, racist, weird, or whatever. There's nothing weird about that. There's nothing weird. So so a lot of you who are, for example, a mother who's spending all her time raising black children is a far greater asset to the black community than some man who's off making a million dollars a year doing something stupid. You know, you know, again, it doesn't mean that the million dollars isn't nice for you. I'm happy for you. You have a nice car, a nice house, everything else. But but who benefits from that? And what does that really mean? And are you even benefiting from that? What's the trade-off? What are you trading? And when you when you get into this corporate trap, this plantation trap of trading time for money, that that's that that right there, that's a sucker's move. That's a that's a sucker's game. And and the best thing you could do for your children is do little things like the five dollar a day investing plan where you can get them out of that trap of trading time for money. Your life should not have a dollar sign on it. You're not for sale. You're not a slave. You're not a hooker. Your time should not have a dollar sign attached to it because your time is infinitely valuable. Once it's gone, it's just gone. So anyway, all right, a couple things I want to mention really quick. If you want to copy of the $5 a day plan, if you haven't, uh, just text the word stock to 87948. If you text stock to 87948, you'll get a, the $5 a day plan. There's a list of AI stocks that I really like. AI is, that's the future. That Every analysis I've seen says AI is growing and it's just in its infancy. So you really want to be invested in AI. So I have a list of stocks that are going to benefit from AI. I can send that to you. If you haven't done it yet, text the word stock to 87948. Also, right after this uh, class is done, uh, Sherry Mitchell is visiting the Black Business School. She is going to do a training on the origins of anti-blackness. 
And uh, and there there is a fee, but, but she's letting the Black Business School students in for free. So I'm going to text, uh, I'm going to put the link in the chat if you want to join. It's literally happening at 11 a.m. Eastern. So I may not even be done by that time, but if you wanted to leave early to go to that, that's totally fine. We have a lot of activities for you every single day in the Black Business School. So uh, let me put this in the chat for you real quick. Um, and uh, let's see. So, and then also, um, if you want to get a copy of the book, The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power, and you haven't gotten it yet, you can just go to drboycebooks.com. There's also flashcards and stuff like that for the book if you want to teach the concepts to your kids. Uh, and so, um, all right. So, so let's let's talk about black-owned businesses for a minute and why black-owned businesses suffer, why black business owners uh, have a really hard time. Now, we talked last time about what it means to have fertile economic soil. Uh, fertile economic soil is basically a space where businesses grow uh, and uh, unfertile soil is where businesses go to die. And unfortunately, what has happened is that by having a culture that's built around economic failure, by having a culture that's built around economic servitude, by having a culture that's built around economic mismanagement and economic irresponsibility, 80 percent of all black owned businesses fail. Uh, 80% fail. And it doesn't mean that other people aren't cul culpable. I think you can link all this right back to racism and white supremacy, 100%. Dr. Claude Anderson, we do Poweronomics training every Wednesday night, and he makes it very, very clear that they went out of their way to systematically define processes and, and, and procedures that were designed to uh, extract resources from you, control you in every way, way imaginable, and to do everything possible to make you uncompetitive with whites. And, uh, and and this lack of ability to compete shows up in uh, inferior school systems. Black kids are not getting educated. It shows up in uh, the fact that if I want to get work done on my house, has anybody ever tried to get work done on your house and you can't find a black contractor to get it done? Anybody ever go through that? But you can find a whole lot of Ukrainians or Polish companies or Mexicans or whatever, Irish people and, you know, whatever. And they, they, they show up as a pack, as a unit, a bunch of Mexican dudes in the back of a truck. And they all show up and they can paint the house and fix the roof and everything else. And I'm sitting there saying, where's the black people that are doing this stuff? Where are the black folks that have these skilled trades? Why, where's my black plumbers at? Where are my black electricians at? Where are my black HVAC people at? Right. And, uh, and, and this is, this is what has occurred in my opinion is that, and my mother talks about it all the time. My mother likes to rant about the fact that there was a time where black kids could go to high school and learn all these trades. They could learn how to start a hair salon. They could learn how to fix a car. They can learn how to do plumbing. They can learn how to do welding and whatever. And now they got rid of all that because we got caught up in this nonsense of, but depending on affirmative action to get these corporate jobs after we go to college. And that is causing us to suffer. That's going to, the, the pain is just starting. The pain has not gotten full throttle yet. The pain is not up to full speed yet. The pain is coming when artificial intelligence comes in and wipes away all those jobs. We've already had the wipe away of diversity, equity, and inclusion. DEI has D-I-E-D. DEI is D-E-A-D. DEI is dead. It is gone. Uh, it, it's out. It's the affirmative action, all that. They, they've literally, corporations, universities have taken their affirmative action statements and said, uh, let's ball them up and throw them in the trash because we didn't want these people around here anyway. So that's already gone. And then number two is AI is going to come in and wipe out uh, a big chunk of all of the um, these so-called high-paying jobs that you get as a college graduate. These these jobs are going to disappear. They're they're going away. Did anybody here give me a yes or no if you heard how Tyler Perry 
stated recently, let me know if you heard about this. He said recently that he's going to stop the uh, development of his $800 million studio because he saw the latest developments in AI. And he said, this is going to destroy a lot of jobs. Anybody else see that? Where Tyler Perry made that announcement. And I, and I applaud him for being honest about it. Most people aren't being honest about it. Disney ain't really telling people that. But Disney, believe me, Disney's on the cutting edge of AI. Uh, Warner Brothers Studios, all, all of them are looking at AI and they're saying, holy crap, holy crap. We don't have to uh, hire all these people. We don't have to deal with all these labor issues. We don't have to fight with anybody about bathroom breaks and 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 and, and living wages and all that because robots don't need a living wage, right? And so, so, so here's the deal. Um, um, we, we're in, we're in, we're in trouble, you know, and, and, and I, and I can tell you that, uh, part of the problem that we're dealing with, it, it actually was reflected on the recent South Park episode I watched. There was a South Park episode where because of AI, all of the white collar people that had the college degrees, uh, were were pretty much scrambling to try to get the 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 Mexicans and everybody to come fix the fix stuff in their house. So instead of the you know how they they would have the migrant workers that would be waiting like outside the Home Depot looking for work. Well, they they actually flipped it around. Now the migrant workers were pulling up and hiring people that would run up with a sign and say, "I can do your accounting," and then somebody else was like, "I have a degree in therapy. I can give you free therapy if you if you come fix my sink." Another person's like, I have a degree in business management. I can manage your business. Well, you know, the, the thing is that, and, and the reason they they had that they made this joke was because AI had killed away all the white collar jobs. AI just had wiped out the need for the accountant and the financial analyst or the uh, you know, whoever, what, what all these other skills that are basically these almost soft skills uh, that that are tough to do. But it depends on your 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 training and your intellectual level. But at the same time, AI can easily come in and do a lot of your accounting for you. It can do a lot of your graphic design and everything else. I mean, there are people that make make their whole career out of artistry and filmmaking. Have you seen how good the artistry is with AI? Have you seen how good that AI art is? It's interesting because it really reflects the fact that human beings are almost like this. Human beings can be hacked. Human beings, you, we could be hacked uh, because we're programmed. You know, the programming is really deep. And so if you are looking at us objectively, like the way artificial intelligence would, and just collecting data, which they have plenty of data, you can figure out what's going to make a human being do what. That's what. That's why Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg made $28 billion in a week last month. It's because he hacked human beings. He figured out, okay, if I give them an image that's scary, they're going to have this reaction. If I give them an image that's inspirational, they're going to do this. And they're more likely to share an image if it relates to values that they already have. They, they they got this through data. They just went through all the data and they said, okay, how do we make people, how do we manipulate their emotions and get them to feel a certain way so they'll do the things we want them to do and we can sell that energy to advertisers. That's how they make all this money. So AI um, has figured it out. And uh, and I don't think that it, there's any um, Veronica. I see what you're saying. How's we? How can we as black people collectively refuse to use AI? I don't think that's going to work. I don't think you can put it put the genie back in the bottle. I just don't. I think that the best solution is to learn how to benefit from AI. AI is going to just make the world much more much more efficient. Um, I think, uh, for example, you're going to have uh, times where you might be expected to produce 10 times more because you've got AI helping you. 
Um, I think that there are ways to invest in AI. Again, if you text the word stock to 87948, I'll send you a list of the AI stocks that I'm invested in. Uh, text stock to 87948. My wife and I had an investment in, in NVIDIA, and that sucker went up 750%. There are other companies in AI that are going to do that eventually because this industry is growing by leaps and bounds. It's not going to stop. And I, so when you go back to Tyler Perry announcing that he's going to stop producing and creating his studio because of what he saw with AI, the most recent development called Sora, that should tell you something. This man is going to stop this almost billion dollar investment because he's seen what AI can do, because what he's trying to do is he's trying to avoid getting caught in the trap where he's trying to operate in the year 2028 using rules that applied in the year 2022. He, before he was thinking, okay, I need this $800 million studio. I need to hire all these people. I need to go through all this whole process to produce a movie. Now he's sitting here thinking because he's a smart man. He's sitting here thinking, well, wait a minute. I could replace half of these people with artificial intelligence and still have the same level of productivity. And this is how Tyler thinks. I only talked to Tyler Perry one time. He called me out of the blue. I don't call celebrities. Sometimes they call me, though. And I, I'm, But I'm interested. I'm intrigued because this is somebody you've heard about for a long time. And so we were talking. And two things I remember from the conversation, maybe two or three things. Actually, three things I remember from the conversation. One thing I remember was he, he told me he doesn't like wearing the Medea dress. And he said he's going to stop doing that. But obviously, that wasn't true because this was like a 10 years ago. And he's still wearing that damn dress. Uh, the second thing he said was... I asked him, I said, how does it feel just the day before he was on the cover of a magazine uh, for being the highest paid person in Hollywood? Everybody was shocked because they were like, how's this black man making more money than us? And I said, how does that feel to be on the cover of a magazine where people know that you're the highest paid person in Hollywood? And he said, I hate it. He said, I hate it because who wants their paycheck to be announced to the, the entire public? He said, people don't see how much money it costs to run my business. People don't know that I paid Alan Payne $2 million this year. People don't know about all the money that it costs to do these productions. And I, and I understood that. I understand that too. That's why I, I never announce how much money I make because when people have seen it, they're always like, oh my God, he's making so much money. That's crazy. But you don't understand that there's a cost to be the boss. There's a big cost. And, and it ain't, you know, it, people that become wealthy through business are not people that just get a paycheck and the paychecks this massive amount of money and there's no expenses and they can just take all the money and go to the club with it. No, you run a business, you sure you might make a hundred thousand, you might make a million, you might make whatever, but you're going to be putting that money right back out into whatever you're doing. So in the millions and millions of dollars that I've been able to figure out how to make through doing different things, about 80, 90% of that gets reinvested into stuff involving black people, right? I have to keep something to take care of my family. But for the most part, you have to be committed to reinvestment to run a big business. And, and, and so that's what Tyler was talking about. He said, people see the top line, 100 million. They don't see the bottom line, which is where 95% of that money is gone. It's right back in the business, hiring people, paying people, doing all this other stuff. But this is why you need your business owners. This is where you're losing as a community because you don't have your business owners that are pulling in the, the, those millions of dollars that are instantly reinvested, you don't have an economy. You have a bunch of paycheck people that are just getting checks from white folks and not really thinking about developing the kind of infrastructure required to make a community move forward. You can only propel a community with infrastructure, and we don't have an infrastructure-based mindset. That's not, we assume others, we, we, we look for white folks to, to build the infrastructure and then we lean on whatever they built. We don't think, well, how do we build our own sports league? How many of these athletes, think about this. Imagine if all these athletes, the most popular athletes who spend all the time on social media flaunting how much money they have and talking crazy about each other on these stupid podcasts. Imagine if they got together and created their own sports league. 
They could absolutely do it. You got your media. Club Shay Shay alone, if Club Shay Shay alone was broadcasting uh, football games from this Black-owned sports league, and then the, all the other uh, people in the partnership agreed to broadcast it on their social media, you would have distribution to millions of people. You could get the advertisers. You can make the money that way. But they're not even thinking like that. They're not even, it's not even going through their head, they're, but you, but you've got every single thing that you need, every single thing you need. And, and, and I don't, and I don't, and, and it's just mindset. That's what it is. So, so let me go back. So the third thing Tyler said that I remember in the conversation, um, oh, it had to do with Spike Lee. And at that time he was getting a hard time from Spike Lee, uh, probably for good reason, in my opinion, because of the uh, coonery and buffoonery of some of his movies. And, uh, and he said that it's not, he didn't think it was fair. And I said, yeah, I kind of wish Spike would have dealt with it differently. I don't know if converse, certain conversations have to be public. I think Spike should have talked to him personally. And I think they worked it out because I saw Spike Lee at Tyler's premiere or something. And um, and one thing that's, that, that Tyler said that stuck with me, I think a lot of us might have overlooked this, but this really gives me insights into his thinking with AI, is he said, he said, you know, I'm not like these other people. I didn't go to film school. And I said, I said, exactly. And that's your advantage. That's the advantage that you have over them is that you didn't go to film school. Because when you go into an educational institution, and I'm saying this as a finance professor, when you enter into an educational institution, you're being given a framework of thinking. You're given a certain structure. And that structure can be liberating in some ways and empowering in some ways, but it can be very limiting in other ways. Uh, to some extent, you have to be really careful because sometimes what we think is um, an educational process is really an indoctrination process. You're being indoctrinated into a way of viewing the world, and that can limit your creativity when it comes to figuring out how to get things done. Okay, so <clears throat> so basically, with all these filmmakers that went to you know that studied at Yale and 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 I don't know if Juilliard, I think Juilliard does performing arts, or you went to USC Film School. You come into filmmaking with a certain mindset. You're like, oh, well, in order for me to shoot an episode, it's going to take at least a week per episode. I'm it's going to cost you know half a million dollars per episode, and 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 I'm going to need to have this and this and this in place in order to shoot an episode of a show. Well, here's the problem though: <clears throat> when you're black, you can't do that. When you're black, you can't do that. Not independently. The only way you can get that half a million dollars per episode is if you go to Hollywood and get on your knees and beg some guy from the Jewish community or whatever, some corporation that's been established 100 years to finance your ability to get that job done. That's the only way you can get done. And if they don't if they don't choose to bless you with an opportunity. Remember, remember I told you where about opportunities, opportunities come from. We we pray to white Jesus, black Jesus and baby Jesus. But really, you're praying to the white man because he creates these opportunities for you. Right. So so if they if they bless you with an opportunity, which sometimes might come with a price. Right. It's a price that you may not want to pay. It may be they may take something from you that money cannot buy. If you satisfy those conditions and they select you then they bless you and they say okay here you go boy here's half a million dollars an episode don't mess it up and also make sure that when you make the movie that you make it the way we want you to make it and we put you put the stuff in there that we want you to put in there because you have no power in any of this process because you don't control any of this money 
This is this is entertainment, people. And this is what I want y'all to understand. The money drives everything. That's why as a finance professor, I'm dipping my nose in every black conversation in the community because I'm like, oh, there's the economics. Oh, wait, wait, wait. The, the Oh, racist. Oh, no, no, that's really the economics. No. Oh, wait, wait, dude, wait. He, he won't give you another record deal. Oh, that's because of the, the financial structure. I, I, you know, I got a Ph.D. in finance. No, no, none of these other people do. But I do. And I can tell you, though, this is the the money's driving everything. Money is the motive. Must be the money, right? That that's what it is, right? So, so here's the deal. What I remember saying to Tyler, uh, and again, I don't watch any Madea movies. I'm gonna be honest with you. That stuff that I'm not I'm not in the target demographic for a Madea movie. Let's just say it that way. But but I respect him <clears throat> because I can I hear him when he talks, and he believes in black ownership. He has a mindset that excels and rises above. He has a level of economic consciousness that exceeds a lot of the other people in Hollywood. That's why you've got Taraji complaining about how much she's getting paid. You got Terrence complaining about how much he's getting paid. You got other people complaining about the racism in Hollywood. Tyler Perry ain't complaining about none of that because Tyler Perry's got that big old 50,000 acre <laughs> ranch or whatever where he's got his studios and his uh, private runway was there. I, I remember thinking when I got my flying list, I was like, I wonder if Tyler Perry would let me land on his runway one day. That'd be so cool. But anyway, but, but so, so, so Tyler's not thinking about any of that because Tyler Perry has found a way to make himself into what we described earlier as an economic God. Tyler Perry is not a guy that is walking around looking for opportunities. Tyler Perry is a guy who blesses other people with opportunities. I wish he would give other. I wish he would give more of those opportunities. Right? I saw uh, where he did something, where he showed his writing room, and he 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 was writing an episode, and he wrote every single line, every single scene, and and he played every single character. I think that's a little weird, uh, Tyler. If you see this, yes, it's, it's strange, but but his economic consciousness is 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 way up here. So so what I I remember saying, I said. You not going to film school is probably the best thing that ever happened to you because you're able to solve difficult problems with an independent eye. You're able to you're able to sort of look and say, wait, OK, I can't go get this white man to give me half a million dollars an episode. But why do I need half a million dollars in a whole week to shoot an episode? So if you look at Tyler Perry's production process, you'll see that he shoots more content in a day than a lot of Hollywood studios shoot in an entire week. He says, no, I don't need a week for an episode. I need a day. I need half a day. And I don't need $500,000. No, we need about 10 grand or 20 grand. We we figure it out. We work it out. And this is what the ancestors did. They found a way to make a way. They found a way to make a dollar out of 15 cents. And this is one of the things that I talk extensively about in my book, The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power, is that black people have to have unique economic models that apply specifically to the situation that we're in, the needs of our community, and the conditions of our economic outcomes. We, we cannot walk around in this world thinking that we're white we can't one simple example i remember being in business school and they were like oh yeah well to be an entrepreneur uh you're gonna lose money for three to five years it takes three to five years to make a profit and i remember thinking what the hell black person do i know hey give me a yes or no yes or no does anybody know any black people that can literally sit around and lose hundreds of thousands of dollars for three to five years but it, and then eventually find a way to make money. Maybe there's a couple. Some of y'all, you know, some of y'all were lucky. But most black people, I know, they ain't got five years to lose money. But that, but that applies in some other spaces. If you look at the the history of Uber, 
Uber lost eight. I think they lost eight billion dollars in 2022. They've been around for years. What the Uber lost? They literally had a loss of like, I want to say it was eight billion. I got to double check. Even when I say the number, it sounds like I'm lying to you. It sounds crazy. Like, no way. But literally, I think they lost eight billion dollars in a year. Well, why can they do that? Well, because there's an infrastructure that supports them. They, they, the white community has this, this long-held two, three, four hundred year economic infrastructure that they can turn to that will allow them to get through the tough economic season. And you don't have that same infrastructure. I'm sorry. It sucks. I wish you did. You deserve it, but you don't. So black businesses have to be, be built differently from everybody else's businesses. We have to form our own business models, and these are not going to be typically taught in white business schools, and they're not even taught in HBCUs because HBCUs, unfortunately, don't have enough economic freedom and latitude to really teach black folks exactly what we need to know. So this is the, the void that we're filling in the black business school, and we fill it better than anyone on the planet. Every economic model we talk about in the black business school pretty much was designed specifically based on the needs of the black community, where we are culturally, where we are in terms of family, where we are in terms of our economics. And these these models were toggled to say, OK, this is what you have to do. You don't don't do don't be out here acting white. It, the rules do not apply to you. You're going to have to be a little more creative. You're going to have to figure it out. And so so ultimately, that's what Tyler Perry did. That's the source of his power. That's his superpower. His superpower is that he can do more with a million dollars than most Hollywood studios can do with a $20 million budget. And he gained that genius out of necessity because white folks wasn't ready to give him the kind of money they might give uh, Martin Scorsese or or whoever is in their, their, their pre-existing infrastructure. Okay. And the same thing will be true if you're talking about the building of a Black-owned sports league. <clears throat> the reason I think we don't do things is because we compare what we're building to what they've already built. You're looking at your little league and you're comparing it to the NFL that's been established for 100 years. You can't do that. If you if you build a, a Black-owned sports league, don't compare it to the NFL in the year 2024. You compare it to the NFL in 1942. The NFL in 1942 was very different from the NFL in 2024. You didn't have multi-billion dollar deals. The teams weren't worth billions of dollars. Back in the day when the NFL first got started, these teams were being purchased for like 100 bucks, $200. So you're actually years, light years ahead of them. So you've got to compare to, to other things that are at your stage. Like the problem you, you end up running into economically, in my opinion, is that you get intimidated by how much money white people have. The white man is the richest entity human being on the planet he has so much wealth and so much economic power so so what you become or what i refer to as the seven foot midgets the seven foot midget is the person you're you're seven feet tall because black people have more wealth than 95 percent of the countries on this planet did y'all know that did, make sure we know that give me a yes to confirm that we're aware of this you have more wealth than 95 percent of the countries on this planet but because your wealth is so small relative to uh, you, the, the oppressor who's been stealing your wealth for many years, you feel like you're poor. You feel like you're broke. And broke is a mentality. Poor is a mentality. It's not just a condition. It's also a mindset. So because if you have a poor, broke mindset, then you don't value what you have because you feel like you have no value. You feel like you have nothing to offer. So a person who feels like they have no value, are they going to preserve their resources or are they going to waste them? Answer me in the chat. If a person feels like they have no value, are they going to uh, take care of what they have or are they going to just throw it all away? 
a little girl who does not value her body, is she going to uh, save herself and 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 have high, walk through the world with high self esteem, or is she going to be tempted to give herself away to any man who tells her that she's cute and buys her a bag of potato chips? So self economic self esteem is one of these variables. I don't even I don't even if I've ever ever even heard anybody use that term economic self esteem. This is our superpower in the black business school. We are the black wealth surgeons. So, so economic self-esteem really relates to where the, the not how much money you have, but how much you cherish and value that which is in your control, that which is in your possession. How much time do you spend focusing on what you got as opposed to being obsessed with what you don't got? Because I can tell you, if you ever want to know the secret to unhappiness, the secret to being miserable, the secret to being depressed, the secret to being a loser is to sit around and spend all your time obsessing over stuff that you ain't never going to have. The, the easiest way for me to stop loving my wife is for me to sit around and look at other women and say, gosh, I wish I had her. I wish I had her. I wish I had her. And then I'm not going to value what I have at home and I'm going to lose that too. So ultimately, what I'm saying to you is that you have a lot. You just have to see it for what it is. You have to understand what you have that's valuable. So Tyler Perry, to me, is a person with high economic self-esteem, but a high level of creativity. He's turned himself into almost like an economic god within the entertainment space. Again, putting the Medea dress to the side. I know that's controversial. I told you, I'm not even in the market for Medea movies. I'm sorry, Tyler, but that's where I have to get off the bus. But it's okay. I'm sure he understands that. He's a, he's a, he's a grown man. And at the end of the day... Uh, it's uh, this man. He thinks about building in a way that's different from everyone else. So you you fast forward to the advent of artificial intelligence. A man with the mindset of Tyler Perry, who's already extremely efficient when it comes to money, is going to look at AI and say, holy crap. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's literally thinking about all the different processes and tasks that he's paying insane amounts of money for. And he's thinking, wait, wait a minute. This AI can do it all. Jeff Bezos, who runs Amazon, he's looking at AI and he's thinking about all of the complaints he gets about working conditions and all the people that want to unionize in his factories and all the people that are saying that Amazon workers are abused and they can't get bathroom breaks, even though they're making 80, 90, $100,000 a year. And he's saying, you know what? Uh, well, guess what? How about this? How about I take away that $100,000 a year job and I give it to a robot, which is only going to cost me $1,000 a year. And uh, and that robot ain't never going to complain. He ain't never going to try to unionize. He will never uh, need a bathroom break and he's going to work 10 times harder. He's very, very smart and he can really get things done. This is the world that we're moving into and there's no way to turn that back. There's no way. I, I hate saying it. I wish there was a way to fight fight it and get rid of it. No, I don't think that's possible. I really don't. So So what I would say to you, is that for black folks that want to be ahead of the curve, or all of you, any of you, you, some of you are not black and it's okay. We love you too. This is not, a, we don't block anybody from being in the space. You should be learning from intelligent black people. We are the Harvard of, of the world. We are, we are the new Harvard. We, we're the, we're the canaries in the mind. We're, we're the smartest in, on the block. And so uh, for anybody listening, what I would say to you is that with AI coming, the best thing for you to do is to learn how to ride the horse, not to try to outrun the horse. So riding the horse might mean, consistently investing in stocks that are going to benefit from AI. Uh, co companies like NVIDIA, we've known about NVIDIA. With, with NVIDIA is trading at 700 and something dollars a share. We were talking about NVIDIA when it was trading at 40 or 50. Uh, that's, that was when me and my wife bought it. We bought it at 40, 45, 50, something like that. Uh, and now it's, it's, it's 
you know, gone up astronomically. Uh, uh, the um, other thing, what else can you do? Learn about AI, you know, pay attention. You know, uh, I think that our children should be trained on this. Uh, you know, there, there are different ways of learning in every generation. And one of the things you don't want to do is get trapped learning in a way that was applicable 20 years ago when you're in a new era. When I was at Syracuse University in, in the early 2000s, around 2004, 2005, and I started in the black students started coming to see me because they would see me on TV and stuff like that. And they would come from the journalism school and the Syracuse journalism school is one of the best in the world. And I remember telling them, I said, you know, this thing, this, this internet thing is going to be big. It's going to democratize media at, at an epic level. And you, you probably want to make sure you stay on top of that technology so that you can figure out how to uh, reach your audience because the world is going to change and you're learning in your classrooms from instructors who cut their teeth in media in the 1980s that was a very different world so you don't want to uh be in the year 2006 and this is what year it was back then this is 18 years ago you don't want to be in the year 2006 learning techniques that were applicable in 1982 that's not going to work so the same thing is true now in 2024 you don't want to be learning in a way that was applicable in 2006 or you're gonna get body slammed. You're gonna get hammered. Uh, and that that you know, when I was um when I started teaching online and all this other stuff, it was really me sort of looking at the technology and the direction it was going and saying, okay, let me just get on this horse. This internet thing ain't stopping. And uh, and that led to me creating the YouTube channels and all that stuff early. And I was able to find a way to create my own distribution. Uh, people like me, we don't. I don't fit into mainstream media. I think my ideas, honestly, I think my ideas are a little bit too uh, advanced for uh, for what white people are willing to accept from a black man, and I'm okay with that. Uh, but, but at the same time, though, it's like you have to be creative. And Tyler Perry was creative, and that's why Tyler Perry has all this money. Okay, so um, anyway, one thing I want to mention really quickly is uh, I'm going to share this link with you guys. Uh, Sherry's... Uh, um, uh, event where she's going to do the origins of anti-blackness that's going to start in a couple minutes and uh, actually if you if you text the word money to 87948 uh, i will i will also send you the link of via text right after we're done if you want to join it's a free training she's doing in the black business school uh she's a historian and a lot of us don't know the origins of anti-blackness i think she saw the movie origins by ava duvernay and got a little bit annoyed because uh there is a reason why People don't like black people. There is a reason why anti-blackness is so strong. And uh, and it's I've always been curious as to why so many people dislike us and they don't even know us. And so she's going to be doing that. That training is totally free. If you want to uh, join that, there's the link right there. And uh, if you text the word money to eight, seven, nine, four, eight, I'll send out the link again uh, via text. And then uh, in addition to that. I want to remind everybody that uh, the All Black National Convention is going to happen in Chicago, uh, in, in Lombard, Illinois, which is right outside of Chicago. It's going to be October 25th through the 27th. Uh, we're going to gather. We're going to do events for those who are studying things like stock options. We're also going to have uh, people that want to be entrepreneurs. We're going to have therapists there if you want to uh, hear from leading therapists, uh, medical people, uh, political people that have political interests we have a nice mix at the convention so if you'd like to join us just go to allblacknationalconvention.com and also the stock options summit if you're interested in learning money or making money by selling stock options or buying them uh then I'm, I'm really good at that that's that's how exactly how i make my money every single week so if you want to uh join us in the stock options summit uh just go ahead and text the word money to 87948 and i'll send you guys the link as soon as it's available so type in the word money in your phone send it to the number 879 
and uh, and you'll get that information. Okay, so uh, today I wanted to actually dig deeper into Black-owned businesses, but I kind of felt like there. I, sometimes I go the, the direction that the conversation takes me. So um, because we got plenty of time, and we're going to do this every single morning, 10 a.m. Eastern. Uh, and so I hope that this discussion was beneficial to you. But I think the key point here's the key point. If you want to sort of summarize this conversation and carry something away with you, the summary would be. Um, one one simple important idea. The idea is this: you're not white, and the number is eight seven nine four eight eight seven nine four eight. Uh, you're not white. That 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 would be the message that I would say today. And what what does that mean? Well, that means that when you're talking about achieving economic goals, understanding you're not white means you've fully accepted the fact that the world is not fair. And you're not always going to have everything that you need right off the bat. But it also means that because you're black, you've got unique skills and resources that that are privileged to you. There is such a thing as black privilege. Do you understand? There, there's, there, there are privileges in your culture. There's privileges in the work ethic that you went through. There's privileges that come from going through some adversity. There's privileges that come from understanding uh, white the white world in, in a way that white people don't understand the slaves the slaves understood the masters in ways the master did not understand himself do you understand so so i want you to really not spend so much time being caught up in what you don't have i want you to focus on what you do have but then also accept the idea that the reason it's so important that black people educate each other that we educate our own kids is because the existence of unique opportunities, it, it, it requires the development of unique skill sets. Like it's like if I if I train you if if I if if this, if if person A has a car, and person B has a bike, and I'm training person B who owns the bike, and I say, let me show you how to get to work, and I I say the way you get to work is you get in your car, you turn on the engine, and you drive to the job. Well, obviously, I'm setting him up to for a disadvantage because he ain't got no damn car. Do you understand? I'm literally teaching him the wrong thing. So he's going to spend his whole life saying, man, I would be able to go to work, but I can't go to work because I don't have a car. So so here's the deal. And I think you see where I'm going with this. Um, Rather than teaching him how to drive a car, maybe I need to teach him how to ride a bike. That would probably be a better type of educational process for him. Do you understand? So when I look at black people and going to white institutions and being taught how to operate and navigate the economic landscape as, as if they were white, where you've got fewer resources than they do, you've got fewer connections in terms of economic possibilities, you, you don't have the institutional infrastructure that they have, you're coming from a different kind of family, you're coming from communities that have all kinds of chaos and, and different circumstances than they do, and, and but you're going to the school, you're sitting next to a white kid, and there's nothing wrong with the white kid, I'm not, this is not anti-white, this is pro-black, I want you to know the difference, and you're literally learning the same thing, and you're being taught to navigate the world in the exact same way, apply for the same jobs, and expect the same opportunities. You you're setting yourself up to fail. You're setting yourself up for fail. It's to fail. It's like it's like a fish who's being taught how to be a giraffe. So not only is that fish going to feel sorry for himself because he will never, ever be a giraffe. But he's also missing out on the unique and specific benefits that come from being a fish. 
Do you follow what I'm saying? Let me know if you get what I'm saying here. Do, do y'all do y'all follow this analogy? Is this making sense? Let me know if it's making sense. I need to see some yeses in the chat. So I so I'm not because sometimes I, I feel like sometimes when we get deep, it, I can I can lose people. But this is the way I see the world. That fish has superpowers that the giraffe will never have. All he got to do is get in the water. He can go a hundred times farther and faster than the giraffe, but nobody ever taught him how to swim. Because fish should be educating fish. Like, yeah, stop trying to be a damn giraffe. And let's go, let's go jump in this water and, and show the show these giraffes things that we can do that make us unique and make us special. And that's the thing about being black in America, in my opinion, is that you are special. There are special talents and gifts and possibilities and opportunities that you have that nobody else has. Yeah, no, seriously, nobody else. There's nothing. You name another group of people, they can say, We my ancestors survived the slave dungeons, they survived the middle passage, they survived 250 years of the most brutal slavery known to man. They, they survived a hundred years of Jim Crow, 40 years of mass incarceration, breeding farms where they breeded the, the biggest, strongest slaves with each other. That's where you get these big Shaquille O'Neal looking people that can they 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 can you know dump basketballs and lift 400 pounds and move around like a ballerina. Come on now. That's that's a product of the experience that you have. You in some ways you become absolute super species in, in 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 your ability to overcome things. You you are awesome. You are extraordinary. You are great. You're amazing. And so so what I think is beneficial to the kids is to help them understand the value of being black, the privilege that comes with being black, as opposed to always talking about the liabilities of being black. Because if 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 you measure your success, this is why why this is why things like equality or or integration are so dangerous is because you're measuring everything you are relative to whiteness. Like you literally feel inferior because maybe you don't have you know blonde eyes, blonde hair, and blue eyes. Like you know, so so when you're when I'm trying when the fish is trying to be a giraffe and he's measuring him his his self worth by how long his neck is. Or he's measuring his self-worth by how fast he can run through the jungle. That fish is always going to feel inferior. And he might be the greatest fish known to man. He might literally be the fish that is the king of all. He might be the kingfish. He might literally be the fish that can jump in that water and kick all the other fish in the ass and be the fastest swimmer and 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 collect the most food and be the alpha fish. But he'll never know how great of a fish he would have been because he spent his whole life trying to be a giraffe. And then not only is he not going to see the talent because of his energy is distracted, but no one's ever trained him on how to maximize that. Right. So so one of the reasons that the black business school exists and one of the reasons I'm very proud of what we're doing is that I'm not trying to teach you how to be white. I'm trying to teach you how to be super black. I'm, I'm not trying to get you to spend time worrying about what somebody else has got and what somebody else is doing. I'd rather talk to you about what we got going on and what we're doing. Because I can tell you, I am not a typical finance professor. I did not go through my PhD program uh, sort of uh, humbling myself and feeling bad that I wasn't one of the white boys. Because I learned, I said, wait a minute, one day I, it hit me when I was 29 years old exactly. Uh, and, and I was very sad because I wasn't getting the same opportunities as the white kids. And I remember sitting there thinking, wait, ain't nothing wrong with me. Wait, I'm, I'm actually pretty amazing. I'm pretty creative. I, I think that if I find my own lane, I can actually excel past these people. I can be more successful than all of them. And, and when I learned to see that, that, that self-worth, when I learned the uniqueness of my experience and what I was, 
You couldn't tell me nothing. I'm gonna tell you, I was I was almost like the Kanye West of finance in a way. I went in there talking crazy because I really began to feel really good about myself. I probably should have kept some of that to myself, right? It didn't exactly make me any friends, but I remember I told I told my classmates when I was 29 years old, I said, I'm gonna be more successful than all of these sons of bitches. I'm gonna be more well known, I'm gonna have more impact, I'm gonna make more money. I'm gonna be I'm gonna because I'm I'm not only as I because I, I here's the thing. I remember thinking, I know how to do everything you can do, but you can't do what I can do. Like I, I can overcome what you've been through, but you can't over you can't you can't get to you can't get to where we are right now by going through where I went through or starting where I started. Ain't nothing, not one single one of y'all can say you started in the projects and now you're sitting next to the smartest people on the planet. But I can say that. So 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 when I started to see that, I started carving out my unique path and, and it worked out wonderfully. Right. So so be the best version of you that you can be. And, and and the same thing is true when we were talking earlier about why these athletes won't start their own sports league. Stop trying to imitate the NFL and start being whatever you were supposed to be. That's your problem. You're spending too much time trying to be the little brother when you, you, you can't see yourself as an entity within yourself and the greatness that, that God gave you uniquely. That is your key to success. That's how you win. That's how you establish your place in the world. And, and, I, and I want us to really get that. So really, this isn't just an exercise in terms of skill sets and training and resources. It's really a conversation about self-esteem. Do you value what you got or are you spending all your time obsessing over what somebody else got? I can tell you right now that that is a key to absolute failure and complete misery because you will never, ever be as good at being a white man as white men already are. So if you're spending your life trying to just fit in and match and 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 be a, a clone of, of someone else, then you'll always be a cheap substitute. Make yourself unique. That's what you're meant to be. That's that's what you are. That's what we are. We're special up in here. I'm not in the black business school because because I can't go work at a white university. No, I'm here because this is where I want to be. That's it. I'm done. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, I will see you tomorrow. 10 a.m. Eastern. Um, again, the Sherry Mitchell thing has already started, so I gave you guys the link. I told you you could, you could leave early if you wanted to go over there and join that. Uh, she's uh, doing the origins of anti-blackness. Um, if you text the word money to 87948, I'll text it out right now. Also, another thing, uh, if you want to get a copy of my book, The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power, you can go to drboycebooks.com. That's drboycebooks.com. And uh, also, uh, I will also, if you text money to 87948, I'll send you information about the Stock Options Summit we're going to do in Los Angeles, April 19th. I hope you guys will join us. Uh, but we won't have, we, we only have space for like a little over 100 people. So we, like, I don't want to have big blowout things with thousands of people. So um, so there won't be a lot of tickets. So you may want to get it early. All right. So anyway, that's it, guys. Have a good day. And, and if you're in Prime, by the way, uh, we're going to meet on Sunday night, Sunday night at 8 o'clock. We're having a meeting of Prime, which is uh, our Stock Options program where we make money selling stock options so if you're interested uh, in that if you text money to 87948 i'll send you a training how to make money without working well i'll explain to you what we're doing in prime if you'd like to join us for that all right so have a good day everybody god bless you and thank you for joining me on a saturday and i hope you guys have a great day i'll see you later Bye bye